Friday, November 8th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. There are 86 uh, days until the caucuses, and if you're counting, 45 days until Christmas. Choose wisely. This week, <laughs> liberty, justice, and fried fish, polls, and double vision. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy, and uh, welcome to On Iowa Politics. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron, and I guess welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. And Gazette, Gazette columnist <laughs> Dorman. <laughs> it's easy to say. Good morning, Todd. Good morning and welcome, I guess. Yes. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up today, liberty, justice, and fried fish. Not necessarily in that order, I guess, but uh, Aaron, um, you spent last Friday night hanging out with 13,000 of your best friends at the Iowa Democratic Party's Liberty and Justice celebration. Um, what noisemaker did you uh, bring to the celebration? <laughs> uh, the clickety-clack of my laptop keyboard. All right. The noise that I made. <laughs> Uh, Aaron reported it was almost as much fun as he expects this weekend's Iowa-Wisconsin football game to be. Uh, and from all reports, it sounds like there were no touchdowns, interceptions, or fumbles, but maybe a couple of Hail Mary attempts. Aaron, uh, what, what's the takeaway from uh, the Liberty and Justice celebration, which was the last big cattle call, or here in Iowa we should probably call them hog calls, uh, before the caucuses? This this was the last big event uh, of this sort um, before the February 3rd caucuses. Did it change anything? Um, um, I, I don't know that it did. Um, the, the, the speeches were, were good. They were a little better than your introduction of Todd there, a little <laughs> smoother. Um, most of their remarks went. But, <laughs> but it, it, did any of them move the needle? Um, you know, look, this is such a unique race this year with this size of the field. And, and I wondered going into it, if it was even really possible for someone to have the, the big breakout moment that we look for at events like this, everybody remembers Obama from 2007 and, and talks about that involving him. Um, I just think it was harder for candidates to do that this year in this field. And, and I don't know that anybody did, you know, there were a number of good um, speeches, I thought you could just kind of single out a few. I thought Elizabeth Warren's speech was really good um, uh, for her campaign and for her moment. She kind of uh, punched back at the people who have started to uh, criticize her policies now that she's the front runner in the polls. Um, she talked about um, needing to fight for big ideas and the people that they would help. So I thought her remarks were good for her and for her campaign and for her supporters. Um, but look, uh, Pete Buttigieg had a good speech that was well received. I think Joe Biden and, and, and Bernie Sanders did fine. Uh, not, neither really strayed from their normal stump speech, but they did, uh, I think, good enough to, to, to keep the people who they had in their corner and, and, and keep the people who were considering them um, stay on those folks' lists. Um, but I don't know, walking away from it, that it was uh, that anyone had a speech that, that, that moved the needle in any significant way. And, and I'll say the one, and I put this in my story that night, the one candidate about the only candidate who got a really big ovation <clears throat> outside of his or her own supporters 
um, was Cory Booker. And that happens every time at one of these. He he he, he is so good at, at, at speeches. He, he he riles up the people, gets so excited, and then he stays stuck at one and two percent in the polls. So I I, I would say Cory Booker, but uh, you know that hasn't happened yet. I don't know why it would happen this time. So um, I think it was kind of just. I think it was a uh, a status quo night. I, I I don't think anybody hurt themselves, like you said. There's no turnovers, um, but I don't think anybody. Um, you know, uh, hit on a 50 yard touchdown pass either. Did, did most of the candidates stick to their stump speeches or did they, uh, sort of at least uh, retool them for the, this big event? <clears throat> there, uh, there was a lot of the stump speech biographical stuff. There are a few tweets to those. I mentioned Elizabeth Warren kind of mm-hmm. specifically, uh, punching back at her critics. Um, Pete Buttigieg it, it talked about. You know, the, the the day after Trump is is out of office, which he's done before, but he maybe just kind of expanded on that in a little more detail than he's done in the past. Um, Steve uh, Bullock <laughs> un, uh, unveiled a new line of giving Donald Trump the boot, um, which was a cute and clever line, and, and the crowd liked it. Um, you know, does that mean <laughs> he picked up any new supporters in the process? I, I find that probably. Unlikely. Um, so there were a few that, that put some new wrinkles uh, on what they've been saying to folks, but but it was still a lot of pretty standard um, speech fair. Todd, uh, the day after the Liberty and Justice, uh, you took in the Abby Finken, Finkenauer's uh, fish fry uh, <laughs> with eight of the presidential hopefuls. Uh, and the theme there was uh, jobs and infrastructure, which I, I guess most of them were for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So if a Democrat is elected president in 2020, should we expect to see infrastructure week uh, or four years of infrastructure? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's worth noting that from a world history standpoint, this may have been the first infrastructure-themed fish fry, <laughs> at least the only one that I've ever seen. So that's, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for that. And uh, fortunately, they cooked the fish outside the... the they sp- did. Yeah. Yes, it so. was outdoors, so that was that helped. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, you know the, the Democrats run the risk of, of having the same thing happen to them that the president did. You know, you make some infrastructure promises, and, and, and of course, in front of a union audience, you're going you're gonna to do that. Uh, and then, you know, but there, there are all these other issues that, that have seemed to be, you know, much bigger in the Democratic primary debate. And if you get to be president and everything's consumed with passing Medicare for all or, or you know, free college education or whatnot, then just like Trump, infrastructure falls to the back burner and, and again, centers on the whole concept of how do you pay for it. All these folks had some, you know, semblance of a plan for how to pay for it. Most of it was taxing, you know, a lot of the people that weren't in the room, <laughs> which is always helpful. Yeah. <laughs> always gets a big cheer. So, yeah, I, I think Democrats are sincere about trying to do better on infrastructure than the Trump administration did, but they're probably going to run into some of the same hurdles, be it that they don't completely control Congress, that the, that the budget, their budget priorities will be elsewhere. All of those things can conspire to, to again, sort of delay this, this kind of stuff. One of the things that struck me, and it, it didn't seem to get a big response from the candidates, although some sort of gently push back on it. Um, the questions that this uh, fish fry were asked by union leaders, 
And one of the questions that was asked several times had to do with energy and the good jobs that energy provides, including building pipelines right. and things like that that really don't fit into the, the Green New Deal agenda. And uh, I, I think it was Sanders sort of uh, included a line in his response saying that he wanted to move to renewable energies that would sort of replace those. But at the same time, he wanted, you know, he, he was making the point that there are good jobs to be had in renewable energy. But, um, I mean, it was just kind of this subtle point that the unions seemed to be making that, hey, we like these jobs. We like to build pipe pipelines and, and do all these things that, you know, are sort of old fuel, right. old energy. Uh, and, and it kind of spoke to sort of a, a possible uh, hiccup there in terms of uh, who labor unions might like and, and what they want on the agenda going forward. Uh, you also spent some time with Joe Biden uh, at the Fish Fry. Yeah, I got um, to see uh, some pictures of his grandkids on his cell phone. Oh, cool. You know, cool. all the all the stuff that usually you get with, with Joe Biden. He's yeah. very, very personable. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> is he, is he going to be around after uh, February 3rd? Well, he sure seems to think so. Uh, you know, he's his line was basically, this is how the caucuses work. If you're the front runner, you get beat up. Then other people rise, and they get beat up. And, and in the end, Iowans make a choice. And his contention is that they're going to, you know, they're going to come to their senses and, not pick a candidate that's talking about a $30 trillion health care fix or, or some of these other things that are a little further left than where Joe's willing to go. Mm-hmm. So that's he's, he's, he's pinning his hopes on the reasonableness of the electorate. Ooh. So others have done so and not fared so well. But, <laughs> I was going to say that sounds but, dangerous. But, uh, you know, and I think a lot of Democrats that, you know, that I've talked to and that you, you see on social media, there's a lot of consternation with the fact that Joe's sending surrogates and hasn't been here very much. And I think... Uh, if, if Joe's going to follow through on this promise to, uh, you know, fight his way back to the top, I think he's going to have to actually show up. Showing up is 80% or something. Is Woody yeah, Al- just showing up, 85%, Some I think, something like that. Woody Maybe Al- up to 90 depending on which poll you, you, you pay attention yeah. to. <laughs> Speaking of polls, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah. Segway. Segway, yeah. Polls, 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 and more polls. Uh, Three months out from the caucuses, and we've seen changes in standing among the Democrats. A Quinnipiac poll out this week uh, shows Senator Elizabeth Warren leading the field, but just one percentage point ahead of South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And then the mayor, and then when you factor in the margin of error, it's nearly a four-way tie between uh, Warren, Buttigieg, Sanders, and Biden. Um, that was very helpful, I guess, all the, that polling. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got four people who are uh, pretty close. What I uh, found interesting in, in the Quinnipiac poll was uh, they asked about, are you excited about your candidate? And um, Sanders supporters are, are more excited. 81% said they are extremely excited or very excited about their candidate, compared to 67% and 59% for Biden and Warren, respectively. And a higher percentage of Sanders candidates uh, say they have made up their mind. Uh, 61% uh, of the Sanders supporters have made up their mind uh, compared to 48 and 44% for Biden and Warren, respectively. Um, Amy, you, you covered a handful of candidates over the past week. Um, how, how would you rate their excitement level? Extremely excited? Very excited? Uh, <laughs> what, what was the mood? 
Well, well, I'm sure that they're all very excited, but then it comes to the caucus if their candidate doesn't get the threshold. They'll be very excited for their second-choice candidate, so that's just how that goes, I suppose. But I think Pete was really um, you know, the most excited of the three that I covered. Two of them happened to be at the Turn Iowa Blues Fest, which was a Americans for Democratic Action event that they put on featuring several Senate candidates as well. Um, and Bernie Sanders and uh, Michael Bennett were both at that one, um, which wasn't super well attended. And especially for, I think, Bernie Sanders, that surprised me because usually his appearances garner a whole lot of people. So it might have just been the timing of it or the fact that he's been here before. But Pete Buttigieg was in Waverly at that same time, and he got a packed crowd. And this was in the the Waverly Shell Rock uh, cafeteria, which is sort of a smaller space anyway, just because of the school, but probably got a good 500 people in there. And that place was rocking. They were definitely excited for their candidates. So and he's doing the speech that he's doing now on the TV ads. You know, he's doing the unification speech, the the let's work together. Let's not call each other names. Let's stop the mudslinging. Let's let's really sort of, you know, that moderate tone that I think Biden's wheelhouse was. But Pete is really just hammering home for people. And so I think if you're you were on the fence about Biden, maybe you're moving over toward Buttigieg as your other moderate. And I think people also like that he's got the military experience. I think I talked to um, a woman from Iowa City who's also in the Navy, and, and she said he understands, you know, the young people's experience in the military. So I think that's also seems to be resonating with people. Mm-hmm. You, you said that at the Turn Iowa Blues Fest that there were some people there who didn't seem as excited about the um, presidential candidates as, as some other folks, um, the U.S. Senate candidates. Um, yeah, yeah. So the the Senate race that's coming up, there were uh, four candidates for uh, U.S. Senate that are going to be going against Joni Ernst. And so they were there giving their speeches. And as I was talking to people about what they thought about Bernie and, and Michael Bennett, um, they were saying, you know, there's fun you know i maybe not have made up my mind yet but really i'm excited about these senate candidates and that was really the first that i'd seen that people were starting to uh, come alive about that race which of course is until next year so so that was interesting yeah um it seems like those candidates are having some difficulty getting traction among voters uh, because of all the presidential candidates who are uh, sort of clogging the the gymnasiums and coffee houses and what have you fish fries and yeah <laughs> exactly right and and that's definitely on on those senate candidates minds too they're just definitely trying to get a hold of people like hey we're out here too we're we're starting our race too don't forget about us you know because the senate is going to be important it's going to be in play for democrats so that'll be interesting we'll pay attention to them after february 3rd i guess yeah, yeah. that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> todd uh, um as Joe Biden said, you know Iowa. and um, Although he doesn't know me very well, so well, what does he know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, right. uh, there's been polling on this presidential race going back to, well, probably March of 2016. Uh, <laughs> so what should we make of the polls, you know, 90 days out? Of- well, I, you know, I think they're instructive in that it's pretty clear that, that uh, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg have – are, there's there's a surge in enthusiasm for their campaigns, and that's 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 being reflected in in support that's that's grown. Uh, Bernie Sanders, as you mentioned, his folks are committed. He's got that solid base of support. It hasn't grown a lot, but he's still in the mix. And and you know, depending on how th- what things you know, how things happen, 
you know, he may get one of those, the proverbial three tickets or five or how many ever tickets are going to come out of here. And I think, you know, it's it's been bad news for Joe Biden. And, you know, I think the expectation is that he's supposed to win caucuses and primaries and that it, it doesn't look like maybe that's going to happen. And so if he loses Iowa, that's going to be that's not going to look good. And it's, it's certainly going to, you know, whatever momentum he's lost, he's he's going to lose more. So. I think that's what the polls tell us. It also, you know, they also tell us that a lot of Iowans are maybe favoring a candidate, but they're not completely all in. And so this is fluid, which is going to keep some of those lower tier candidates hanging around in case something happens. Well, and the old saw about the caucuses is you work like hell and get hot at the end. Um, Getting hot 90 days out, I'm not sure is what, you know, the strategy you necessarily want. Yeah, uh, President Howard Dean would probably yeah, ag- yeah, agree. Exactly. And, uh, of course, next week we'll be talking about the polls on uh, Michael Bloomberg and Eric Holder's presidential <laughs> campaigns. No. <laughs> <laughs> no more candidates. The Bloomberg oh. surge. <laughs> oh, boy. It's going to tax our soda. What are we going to yeah. do? That's yeah, funny. that'll never fly. Uh, Bernie Sanders is coming back to Iowa this weekend, and he's uh, bringing someone with him, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the the new star of the progressive Democrats. Uh, They'll be making stops in Council Bluffs, Des Moines, Coralville, and um, Bernie's going to uh, Orange City. I don't know if AOC is going with him to Orange City, but uh, that, that could be fun. Seen Bernie in Orange City. A- AOC at MOC, Ooh, Floyd yeah, Valley, yeah. you know, something like that. Dusting yeah. off my old high school and sports yeah. uh, acronym knowledge. MOC, sure. Um, <laughs> and and see if they know how to correctly pronounce the M. The oh. Maurice? Maurice Orange oh, No, City. Morris Orange City. <laughs> yeah, talk like a native. <laughs> well, some people call it Maurice. Yes. Okay, that's yeah. enough. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, G- given the recent late. polling uh, that shows Sanders slipping behind Warren and Buttigieg, can uh, AOC st- star power um, stop the slide? And well, she's gonna, she's certainly gonna get attention and is gonna draw attention to those those events where she campaigns for Bernie. Uh, you know, I don't. Endorsements are always a weird thing in the caucuses. I mean, so. On the one hand, they show some support in certain areas that you want to have support in. On the other hand, I don't know how many caucus goers actually are swayed one way or the other by these big endorsements. And especially, I mean, granted, she's she's a big name in the party now and is, uh, you know, a, a central media figure in the in the, you know, in the narrative of the Democratic takeover and control of the House. But uh, I don't I don't know how many votes she brings along. It certainly, I guess, reemphasizes. Uh, you know Bernie's credentials as sort of the, you know the the leading progressive candidate, which is a mantle that I guess Elizabeth Warren has been sort of trying to grab. Does she? Is there a risk that people just show up to see AOC? Yeah. Re- regardless of who, whether they like Bernie or not, they're going to show up to see somebody they haven't seen yet. Well, and it's also you know for for Democrats in Iowa, it's an easy chance for Republicans in Iowa to sort of try to. To, to paint everybody on that team with the AOC brush and mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, you know, your, your uh, Abby Finkenauer's and Cindy Axney's probably don't feel the same way about issues that, that, uh, you know, 
that AOC feels. So that's but they're all on the squad. But they're all on the squad. Yeah, that, at least yeah. that's what the Republicans will say. So sure. that's I'm sure they're they're happy to see her. Is she the heir apparent to the the Sanders progressive movement? Um, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's passing the torch, but uh, no, yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, I think it's a little early to, to say that. It, a lot of it depends on what we see in the you know in the primaries and and who gets the nomination. Because if you nominate someone in that progressive wing, then I guess they you know mm-hmm. they'll become the leader for yeah. going forward. Mm-hmm. It certainly is a, it provides a contrast of um, bringing in somebody younger, somebody female, uh, than the crusty old Bernie Sanders, yeah. uh, who people think might be too old. <laughs> yeah. 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 It may overemphasize crusty yeah. Bernie so, Somebody did point out this morning that uh, Michael Bloomberg may have found the sweet spot. Uh, I think he's uh, 77, Sanders is 78, and Biden's 74, 75, so... Uh, yeah, sort of a middle-aged candidate. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bloomberg yeah. <laughs> Fi- finds the generational sweet spot there. <laughs> and, of course, uh, if that works, we'll be talking it on a, on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's been worth your time today. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. You can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jeremy Jacobs will take us out today. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Thank you.